Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you're faced with an opportunity or maybe a decision that you need to make by this time, but the reality is everything beyond this time is uncertain and unknown? <laughs> you know, some people, they, they, they panic and everything's like, what in the world am I going to do? You know, there's, I, I don't know what to decide here. And so they're, they're panicked. Other people, they're going to, well, I'm going to wait until because the circumstances get a little bit better. But they never do. Still others, they're kind of frozen out of the fear of failure. And still some are stuck with that uh, paralysis of analysis. And so we're just kind of stuck there, and we just don't know what to do. And we got an opportunity in front of us. We have decisions in front of us. And how do we respond to that? Well, today we're going to answer that question because if you remember the chart, if you have that chart in Ecclesiastes, the second half of the book, he gives us wisdom in light of three things. One, what he learned in this uh, test tube, sort of say, of life in the first number of chapters as Solomon was testing life to see what brings real significance and purpose to life. But we also saw that there's another theme that everybody is going to die. And we looked at that last week. And how do you live in light of the fact that you're going to die? And today is the third theme we see in this second part of the book. And that is nobody knows the future. How do we live when we really don't know the future and things are uncertain and beyond our control? Now, if you have your Bibles, open up to Ecclesiastes. Uh, you can start with chapter 6. We're going to look at a few different verses. But this theme of not knowing shows up 21 times in this book. And this isn't the idea that, you know, if you just studied a little bit more and took more time to figure things out, then you would know that's not that kind of knowing. What he's saying here is, is that these are things you cannot know. You don't have the ability to know because with all the studying and figuring and analyzing in the world, you still do not know what lays out in the future. And as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, he lays out five things in particular that we don't know. The first one is, is the fact of what will happen in the future. Look at chapter 6, verse 12. I'm going to have you flipping around here a little bit at the start, then we'll settle in on one passage. But in chapter 6, verse 12, he says this, For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow, for who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Now, we've learned under the sun means here on earth. He's not talking about who can tell a man what's going to happen after he dies. No, he's talking about who can tell a man what's going to happen while he's living here on earth because nobody really knows what the future is. Then you look at chapter 9 and we see the same idea. Chapter 9, verse 1. He says this, For I have taken all of this to my heart and explained it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hands of God. You know what, guys? That's talking about God is in control. God is sovereign. The ultimate of what's going to happen in my life is in God's hand. It's not by my choices and my planning. 
So he says that these deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. We really don't know what the future has. And since we don't know what the future has, turn back to chapter 8, verse 7, just one chapter in front of you. If, this is verse 7 of chapter 8. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen. We can't tell him when it's going to happen. So the first two things we see is that man does not really know what's going to happen out in the future, doesn't even know when it's going to happen. Then in chapter 7, verse 24, he talks about some of the mysteries, and we'll see that in the passage we camp on today. 724, he talks about the mysteries, we can't discover them. 724, what has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? Man does not have the ability to, to put their mind around the mysteries of what God is doing. We'll see that again in the passage this morning. Then in chapter 8, verse 17, and then I'll just say we turn to one more and we'll stop jumping around. But chapter 8, verse 17 says this. We've seen so far we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. We can't discover the great mysteries of what God is doing. Now we're going to see man really does not know what God is doing. I remember when I was younger, so many times we'd encounter one another and say, hey, what's God doing in your life? And we'd make these big explanations like we really knew. And uh, it's amazing when I think back on that because every time that was kind of like the big thing, well, what's God doing in your life? We make all this. You know, the reality is, is God usually is doing something bigger and different than I think he's doing. I see a small piece, God's doing something out here. So in chapter 8, verse 17, he says this, and I saw every work of God, and I concluded that man cannot discover the work, basically the work which God is doing under the sun. Even though a man should seek laboriously, laboriously, he will not discover. In other words, you work real hard day and night trying to figure this out and discover what God is doing. He can't discover it. And though the wise man say, hey, I know what he's doing, he cannot discover it. The reality is, guys, we, we, we kind of get in the ballpark about what God is doing, but we really don't know specifically all what God is doing. And then finally, and this is the passage we'll camp in this morning, chapter 11, if you'll turn there. Verse 6. He says this. Sow your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. We don't even know if the adventures and the steps we take are going to be successful or not. And so 21 times, like I said, in this book, that theme of not knowing comes up. What's going to happen? When it's going to happen? The great mysteries of life we can't discover. It. We really don't know what God is doing or is going to do. Next, and we don't even know if the things we're going to do are succeed or not.
I love James 4 when he says, after this guy makes all these plans, and he says, what you ought to say is this, if the Lord wills, you'll live, first of all. You'll be alive tomorrow to do this. Second of all, and do this or that. It's all dependent on God and his sovereignty and his control when we look at the way life is. So today, I want to look at some surprising advice that we receive in this book about how to live when our future is uncertain, it's unknowable, and to be honest with you, it's out of our hands and beyond our control. And we're gonna be doing this here in chapter 11 as we take a look at two different sections. He starts with the illustration of a merchant, and then he goes with the illustration of a farmer, and through them he's trying to teach us a lesson that we're gonna come out of today with this passage. The merchant is in verses one and two, and the farmer is in verses four and five, and then the advice comes in verse six. So watch for this as I read it. You know the structure now. But also watch for this four times in this passage. This is the backdrop of what this text is coming to. This is the backdrop what this lesson is going to be in, is that we really do not know. So watch for that as I read chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven, or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. We've learned that the last couple days, haven't we? And whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will succeed. Again, as you saw as we read, this page is full of what we don't know. It's the uncertainty, the things beyond our control, uh, the things we just really do not have knowledge about. How do we live in light of that? He starts with the merchant. Cast your bread on the surface. Now, the Hebrew word there is send your bread on the surface of the water. We know from uh, the book of Kings that Solomon had a fleet of ships and he used to exchange merchandise with other nations and they would, you know, he'd send things to them and things would come back to him. Well, in light of that context, people believe, because Solomon wrote this book, that's where he's speaking about this lesson. Send your bread on the surface of the water, send your grain in the ships, for you'll find it after many days. What comes back? Well, he comes back to return for what he sent out. But he says this, divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. 
We call this today diversifying. (laughs) What he's telling us is wisdom says because you really don't know with what you're doing and what you're investing in and what you know you're sending out. He says, you don't know what's gonna happen. So his, the wisdom says is diversify what you're doing because you really don't know. And so if this one falls, you got another one that may succeed. So he starts with the merchant and tells us that. Then he tells us again in verse three, things are beyond our control. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it will lay. There's things beyond our control, things we cannot change, things we need to learn to deal with as we walk in life. And then he moves to the farmer in verses four and five. And he's essentially teaching us the same thing. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. You know, here, here's the overcautious person, the person who's looking at the circumstances, he's looking at this, he's looking at that, he sees the clouds this way, hey, it may rain, and so he, he's, he's, he's always staying back, playing it safe, being overcautious, and waiting for the perfect circumstances. And then he says this in verse five. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman. There's the mysteries, man. You don't understand how this thing works. We don't understand how God's working inside of a pregnant woman building the body. We don't understand the path of the weather and the wind and how things come and go and change. So you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. You know, I love that, that he closes with this. You don't know the activity of God who makes all things. He's looking at this with a God perspective. We don't understand how God forms the bones in a a pregnant woman. We don't understand how God controls the weather patterns. We know our best weather men so often are wrong, and it's not because, it's because God's in control of it, not them. They're making their best predictions. And Psalm is looking at this at a supernatural perspective. And you've heard me say this before. He's saying this. There's some things that are bigger than you're strong. They're stronger than you. You can't change them. You can't stop them. You can't stop the hand of God from doing what he's going to do. And on the other hand, there's things that are bigger than you're smart. Kind of think, hey, I got this figured out, and I got that, and I got this plan in place, and I got that, and this is how it's all going to work out. Well, guess what? God's in control, and it doesn't always work out the way you think it is. And now we know all of a sudden that not only is life stronger than we're strong, but it's smarter than we're smart. And it brings down a sense of humility that makes us depend upon God. So what do we do with all this? Now we see his advice in verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. So we start off, what's, he's overcautious. I don't know if I can do that. I, I, you know what, I'm not sure the wind is right. Uh, I'm not sure that it may rain in the clouds, and you know, so you got, he's, over, he's sitting back, he's hesitating, he's not moving because he's overcautious with the circumstances. 
But you know, it says in verse 6, go ahead and sow your seed. Because you don't know which will succeed, whether it will be the morning or the evening or both alike. This is what, the way I summarize the wisdom here for us in chapter 11. Is it up there for you guys? If we can get that on the screen as well, that'd be helpful. Thank you. Don't play it safe. Trust God and take risks. That's what this passage is teaching us. <laughs> Don't play it safe. Don't be overcautious. Don't always stay in your comfort zone. Don't always try to figure everything out. There's a place where we just need to trust God and take some wise risks. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's impossible to please God without faith. All your good works, all your religious habits, all your moral decisions, if we're doing all this stuff out of we're just banging it out trying to do good rather than living by faith, we're really not pleasing to God. You realize that faith takes risks? Faith is stepping into the unknown. Faith is stepping into that which is uncertain in front of us. Faith is stepping into things that are beyond our control, but we're saying, God, I may not understand this and I may not be able to control it, but I'm grabbing onto you and I'm leaning into you and I'm stepping forward in faith and obedience to you. And so what this passage is teaching us is it's for us is to not to live the safe life, but to take risks. Faith risks, wise risks, as you're trusting God. We love it when things are sure. We love sure things. That's just the way it is. And uh, what God is calling us to is, is to be people that, who take risks. I think I might have already said it, but Pete, put up the next slide. It sounded like I already said it about... Um, this really is the bottom line of faith, guys. It's impossible to please God without faith. So it's impossible to please God without taking risks. If it's impossible to please God without faith, it's impossible to please God without taking risks. What risk is God calling you to today? Are you playing it safe? Are you holding back? Are you trying to figure the whole thing out or waiting for better circumstances? Or are you saying, God, I'm gonna take that risk. I may not understand it all, but I'm leaning into you. You know, I had a situation this week, to be honest with you, where I had all these plans figured out and God really dropped a bomb on me. And I realized that, you know what, all my plans may not happen the way that I thought they were going to happen. 
And I really, I, I mean, it was really a bomb for me. I, it just like, he woke me up. And, um, and I just, I, I found my, to be honest, I was in the panic mode. I was in the angry mode. I was in the blame everybody else mode. Until what I did is I regrouped with God. And said, wait a minute, God, you're in control of the circumstances, not man. You're the one that's orchestrating things like this that are messing up my plans, not man. And I found that the more I, I sat there, and it took me about three or four hours before I regrouped, because this was big for me, and yet I, I saw that, you know, God, you're in control. You are sovereign. Things are beyond my control. It's out of my hands. All I can do is trust you. And I found all of a sudden I stopped all these figuring, calculations, planning. And I said, you know what, God? I just have to trust you. You know, when Kim and I went to seminary, uh, God taught this to us in a major way. We, we call it an Abrahamic experience. We learned that from a, a guy named Bob Salstrom. Remember Abraham? God spoke to him, and he went out not knowing where he's going. Many of us will not step out until we know all the plans and all the figuring and all the steps and all the blueprint. That's not the father of our faith. The father of our faith, when God called him, he stepped out not even knowing where he's going, but just believing God and following him. Well, Kim and I had a great plan for going to seminary. And um, we were supposed to leave in about four months. God had led us, and I'm, I'm going to tell you a lot of things that there's a lot of other side stories I can tell you. We're not going to get there, but through numerous, numerous circumstances, we felt led by God for Kim to step away from the job that she had when I went to seminary. God was showing me I was trusting Kim to provide rather than God for it to provide. And through a whole series of circumstances, Kim, and they had offered Kim a promotion, a raise, benefits, a car, I think, as well, and all these things to move down to Dallas. And she felt, and I felt, a clear call from God not to take that. So we stepped back, but we had this plan that was going to make it work. And we said, we're going to go down to school and we're going to just see. We're leaving in a couple of months. We need to see what we've got to bring. What's this? We're told we're first on the list for married housing. So we need to go find out what does this thing look like so we know what to bring. And so we drove down there excited. And we'll never forget the first place we went was uh, the housing department for students and we said hey my name is Pat Peglow and we're coming down here in about four months and uh, you know we're, we're, we got student housing could you please we want to see our room and the woman comes back and I'll never forget when she told me she says uh, there is no room for you I said what do you mean there's no room for us you guys told us we're first on the list she went back and looked she said oh you're first on the list for next year not this year. Kim already told them we're leaving her job. I'm like, wait a minute, next year? And believe me, guys, we, we had this thing, you know, I, I'm the analytical guy. I get it all figured out. I had all the plans. I had everything in place. This is how it's going to work. All that in that moment collapsed in front of us. 
We had no idea how it was going to work, and we were like, what in the world do we do now? And somehow, as we were stumbling around campus, we ran into a guy named Bob Solstrom. He was the alumni director. We kind of told him our story. And he said, wow, what a picture for us about hospitality. The guy never met us before. He says, come on over to our house for dinner tonight. I thought, wow. I wonder what his wife thought when he called up. So I just met a couple I don't know and asked them for dinner, so get something ready. What a heart of hospitality. But when we got there, I remember Bob telling us this. He said, you know what? I meet very few students who go through, super, through seminary supernaturally. They all have it planned. They all got a backup plan. They all got this and that. He says, but you guys have an opportunity right now to do this supernaturally. And, he, and then he explained to us the Abrahamic walk of faith and how Abraham stepped out knowing God said, go this way. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know, well, you know, I mean, Abraham could have had a, a bazillion questions of how it's going to He just obeyed God and he stepped out. And Bob Salstrom suggested to us just, just trust God and go to the housing department and tell them if something opens up to let you know. So Kim and I went to the housing department and we, said, we told them, say, hey, listen, we thought we we're going to have a place where here you do a thing called uh, house sitting when people leave town. If you get anything that's six months or more, would you please let us know? And she said to us, we never, our, our things are like one week or a weekend. I said, well, if something, we can't come down and every weekend look for something to do. We just said, if something comes up for some reason, let us know. And as Kim and I were driving back, the, the excitement in our heart, the, just this sense of God, you know what? Everything's blown away, but this Abrahamic walk, trusting you when with something that's bigger than I'm smart, something I can't plan, something I can't figure out, something I can't change, bigger than I'm strong, but all I know, God, is we're trusting you. We were home three days and we got a call from the housing department. She said, I can't believe this. We never have anybody but we got a family that's leaving town for six months and wants to know if we have somebody who would take it. I tell you what, it was amazing. We, they flew us down to interview us. Yeah, God was amazing, guys. It's just the start of the story. For those of you who know the name Nelson Bunker Hunt, he only lived about a mile down from us. We're in a very exclusive part near White Rock Lake in Dallas, Rolls Royce in the garage, a Mercedes. I'll never forget the day the chauffeur drove me to school. You should have seen the eyes of the other students. They're like, who is this guy? The chauffeur drops me off in front of the school. I can't remember if it was the Mercedes or the Rolls he took me in. All I know is it was enough for students to go, whoa. They took us on for six months, paid us to live in their house. Then they gave us an, a, a duplex to live in for the next six months so we'd come back for the following six months. And so we had um, a year and a half of housing at no cost. I remember as we're saying, God, how's this gonna work? A friend told me about a scholarship through a, a thing called the Harding Foundation just for students in Texas. Uh, they were a jewelry people. 
And I remember sending in an application for that, and much to my surprise, these guys took our tuition and our books for all five years of seminary, and they paid for it all. And you know what? I'm shocked because I know literally scores of students that applied for that, and only three guys got it. The guy that told me about it, me, and a guy I told about it got it. Nobody else got it. And I'm like, God, I can't believe this. You, the twitch. Well, we came to the end of that first year and a half and our housing was gone. And now we didn't know what we'd do next. And there was a woman from Moraine Valley. Her name was Marge. Many of you knew Marge. And I remember her shaking me, literally in the gym, shaking me and saying, Pat, if you got a need and you don't tell me, you're going to be in trouble. And I, and I remember I was there and I wasn't going to call her. I said, God, I just got to trust. I can't call her. And I remember one of the brothers from church here calling me and asked how we're doing. I said, man, we're, we're at the end. No place to live, no money to pay for it. And he really said, you need to call Marge. And I remember calling Marge and Marge says, Pat, thank you for letting us know. I'm going to pray, pay for your housing and your insurance for the rest of your seminary years. So God took care of our housing for all five years. He took care of our tuition for all the years. He took care of our books for all those years. He took care of our insurance for all those years. And you know how Marge got the money? It's amazing. She was married to an engineer. And after he died, she was remodeling the house. And when they were tearing down the walls, money was falling out of the walls because her husband hid money in the walls. She says, Pat, I want to use it to invest in the kingdom of God. I want to use it to invest. I, I, can't, I can't believe this. God caused money hit in the walls years before by somebody else to pay for our way through seminary. But you know what, guys? That all happened when this happened. When we stopped trying to figure it out. When we stopped living on our own plans. And we said, we're not going to pay it safe. We're going to trust God and take a risk. Because Hebrews says he's a rewarder of those who trust him. I want to encourage your brothers and sisters. My hope today is to lead you to Jesus. Not just the truth in, in the Bible that you can say, I got the notes. Yeah, we started there. But this passage is leading us to God. This passage is leading us to Jesus. It's leading us to trust Jesus. It's leading us to put down my greatest plans and my greatest figuring out, my greatest everything that I got in place because I don't. if you're made like me, you're an analytical person. You analyze everything. You figure it all out before you take any steps. I thank God that he has broken that in my life. And maybe there's some here today that need to say, I'm done trying to figure it out. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to take a wise risk because God is calling me that way. And I'll give you a place you can start for many of us. It's as simple as a picnic. Some of you came planning not to go to the picnic because you just don't like to be around people. It's just your nature. I want to encourage you to take a risk because you know what? When we step into the things that God provides for us, he does miracles. And he's providing an avenue for us this morning as a body to get to know one another and to walk with each other. Another risk that many of us need to learn is hospitality like Bob. Well, you know, I didn't even think of it until now. Bob Solstrom did hospitality. One night with this brother changed our life. 
changed our whole seminary experience, changed the whole trajectory of our life and the way we live life. Because some guy who didn't know us took the risk to introduce himself to us, say, hey, what's going on? Kind of like, do you really want to know? God, you, you know what? Maybe today at the picnic is the day when you take a risk to step out and introduce yourself to somebody new. Some of you don't know, you've seen them around church or maybe you've never seen them. That's even better because they, they might be new and visiting. Say, hey, how you doing? My name is so-and-so. Do more than the quick handshake, but take a moment to introduce yourself, talk to each other. Well, what are the big decisions you're facing in your life? What have you been thinking about? What are you struggling with? Whatever. But brothers and sisters, hospitality is so crucial, not only in the church, for us to become a body that truly is intertwined like this, interdependent on one another while we're utterly dependent upon Jesus. But how about with our neighbors? Those who don't know Jesus, the best place in the world to start to talk to somebody about Jesus is, is have that welcoming heart. Invite them into your home. Guess what? We just learned some things through an ice cream social. How do you, how do you invite in people you don't know and talk to them? How about trying that with people you don't know and getting a group together like that? Take a risk. Don't play it safe. What is God calling you to do today? Introduce yourself. Start with a picnic. As simple as introduce yourself to somebody you don't know. Somebody of a different age than you. For a young person, talk to an older person. An older person, talk to a young person. Take a risk. Brothers and sisters, when we start living like this, if we as a church live like this, we'll no longer just be a church that does the stuff. It'll be a supernatural place where the living God, the Spirit of Jesus is moving in and out of this place and in our lives and doing radical things that we have no idea when he does things that have no explanation but God. So my encouragement to you today from this passage we're taking is don't play it safe. Don't play it safe. It's time to step out in faith in God, trusting the Spirit of Jesus to lead me, to guide me, to equip me, to restrain me, to push me, whatever's needed. What's God saying to you today? Step out in faith, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and watch the miracles that he works because he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and trust him.